most people don't need to be told what the right thing to do is. They they kind of do it. And I think we've seen as many examples of, you know, incredibly good behaviour as we have seen bad. And people may not always remember what you say or what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Welcome to this Alumni Matters mini-series. I'm Kasia Gardner and my guest for this mini-series is Patrick Dunn. Patrick is an experienced chair and serial social entrepreneur with extensive experience of working with boards in Europe, Asia and North America. He's currently the chair of consultancy Board Delta, the charities the EY Foundation and ESSA Education Sub-Saharan Africa as well as the Chair of the Oversight Board for the Chartered Management Consultant and Trustee of the Chartered Management Institute. Patrick is the author of Boards and three other successful books on the subject, and he's helped establish successful courses on board skills over the last 20 years. Not only that, he's a Cranfield alumnus having done the Cranfield MBA, and he's a visiting professor at Cranfield School of Management. In this first episode, Patrick and I will be speaking about boards and COVID-19. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you. Good to be here. So I think the first thing I kind of want to pick up on is that there's never been a more testing time for boards. You've mentioned in a recent article that COVID-19 feels like SARS, 9-11 and the financial crisis all rolled into one and the existential threat to businesses and I guess more importantly to our colleagues and friends, family and selves is real and that lives and livelihoods are at stake. So given all of that, what is the purpose of a board in a time of crisis? Well, I think um, fundamentally it's the same as uh, normal in terms of fundamental roles. So that's to make sure that the organisation has the right vision and strategy, the right resources and the, the right governance. I guess the nature of the challenges uh, to strategy, to your resources and to your governance is just very different at a time like this. So, you know, you have your overall vision and strategy, but fundamentally for many organisations that that strategy was really simply put in the last month, it's been survival. And having ensured survival and sort of resilience is then about uh, recovery from, you know, the, the shock, however long that lasts, and then hopefully a resurgence when you when you get through that. In terms of your resources, uh, clearly you're having to take tough decisions around people, financial decisions, uh, supply chain, uh, and all the rest of it. And you, because you haven't been able to meet physically, you're having to govern in a different way, and you have different governance uh, governance priorities. Uh, so I think the the fundamental role remains the same. But the nature of the situation is very different and the nature of the way that you're dealing with it is very different too. So picking up on the bit about governance there that you mentioned, what kind of Mm. changes in governance are you seeing as a result of this crisis? So probably the big one is around decision making and is around the relationship between the board and the executive. So uh, I'm a mathematician, so I always think Venn diagram is a wonderful thing. And if I think of the sort of two circles intersecting between the management and the the board, uh, you know, typically that intersection is is around really the the most important things. Um, 
in the situation that we're in, I think that intersection has grown because there are many more important things to decide in a shorter time frame. And one of the ways in which governance has, has changed is actually the most boards have set up what I, what, I, what I would call a sort of nucleus to deal with this. So they have a board which is, uh, they may have a COVID task force or a COVID subcommittee, and that little group is delegated with, you know, supporting the management to come up with recommendations for the board to endorse. And the, the danger is if that continues uh, too long is that you end up with a, a two-board system uh, because these decisions are so important. So you have to work hard to uh, ensure that. And you also have to work hard around the decisions that you need to take today to survive, to be resilient, and the decisions that you must take to come out of this and for the side. So one way that governance has changed, I think, is that some boards have had you know, a COVID sort of almost triage kind of decision-making group and a kind of, so what do we do when we come out of this kind of group? So everyone is involved. There's an intersection between those groups as well. Uh, and you haven't got two boards in operation. And I think, you know, if we kind of go back to the start of the COVID-19 crisis, mm. there was a lot of press coverage about certain organisations, um, you know, uh, organisations like Sports Direct, Weatherspoons, who took at the time some ill-judged business decisions. Um, now, these seem to be the exception rather than the norm. But is there a danger that in this lockdown period or as we're kind of coming out of this lockdown period that there might be an increase in poor behavior in boardrooms either deliberately or inadvertently i think there's always that there's always that risk i mean in my experience most people don't need to be told what the right thing to do is they they kind of do it and i think we've seen as many examples of you know uh, incredibly good behavior as we have seen bad and I think the, uh, uh, I spent a lot of time in Africa and there's a, there's a fantastic quote from Maya Angelou around, uh, you know, people will, may not always remember what you say or what you did, but they'll always remember how you, how you made them feel. And I think one of the things every board needs to be conscious of, both with its, you know, with its staff, with its supply chain, with its customers, with its regulators, with whoever it is, uh, also is, is, you know, how are you conducting yourself through this so that you, you know, do the right thing as much as you can and you leave people feeling that you will have made some mistakes? I, I think there's no, there's no chance of us all not making some mistakes through this because of the information, you know, we may not have all the information, the situation may change, so on. But what we shouldn't make a mistake over is our values and our, and our culture. We should, we should, that should stay true. Uh, so, and I think I've seen that in uh, a number of organisations and, and where I'm chair, I'd like to think other people see see that, uh, you know, even if you're having to make really tough decisions, that people feel you've done that for the right reason, you've done it in the right way uh, and you've supported people through that, through that change. I think, you know, if you look at some of the ways some very large organisations have, have behaved with suppliers, that gives you a very good clue. And actually, it's really quite interesting. I think if you stand by your suppliers through a time like this, uh, and whether that's because you just think that's a good thing to do or because you're absolutely going to need them when you come out, I think, you know, 
if they're supplying two companies in the same sector, the one that they supply who's really supportive and helpful and, you know, still commercial, but helpful. Who are they going to bring their best ideas to after this, you know, after we come through this? The, the, the customer for them that's been the most supportive, aren't they? The one that screwed them down, taken advantage of the situation. You know, they're probably going to be less less positive towards as you come out. Yeah, I think I saw something, was it on one of the news channels, was it a week or two weeks ago about, you know, it was a, a really decent-sized local business, but, you know, they were buying extra warehouse space so they could continue to buy from their supplier, albeit that, you know, the, the amount they were ordering was reduced so that, you know, when they do come out of it, their supplier is still in business. And, you know, in this interview, um, they were saying, you know, it isn't just about them as a business, their business survival. They need to think bigger than just themselves. Yeah, I think every board should, uh, I mean, your, your company isn't sort of an island, really. You know, you need to think about where you are in the in the value chain. You need to think about where you are in uh, in the sector as a whole, where you are in the community, all these things. And, and, and actually, everything you do has a consequence you know, within your organisation and outside your organisation. I think one of the things that, that I found very helpful through this is, you know, when someone comes up with, we need to do this, they well, what are the consequences? And, you know, as a chair in your mind, what are the consequences for our shareholders, for our staff, for our suppliers, for our customers, for our community? That, you know, you've, you've got to go through that join the dots sort of process in your mind before you decide. I think there's a, um, I, I love the normal distribution because it's amazing how many things sort of conform to it. And, and one classic use of the normal distribution is to say that there's a strong relationship between effectiveness and pressure. So, you know, you're, you're sort of fast asleep or you're a headless chicken, uh, or you're in the middle and you're kind of pacey but reflective, you're sort of dynamic but well-controlled. And I think the board is to try and help the management sort of be somewhere in the middle zone. And a, a situation like COVID, you know, the pendulum swings uh, sharply to the, to the right. Uh, and, and it's incredibly hard to make good decisions when you're under extreme pressure. So I think one of the things that, you know, the board has to do is sort of manage that balance well. And some of that relates to how many decisions you're trying to take at one time. So um, a situation in the week where the team will wanted to take about 10 different decisions and uh, all of these decisions needed to be taken. But uh, my question was, do they all need to be taken now? why don't we really focus in on five of them and get them right? And these other five, which actually we could take next week or the week after, let's, let's do that. And that's not procrastinating. Uh, it's very different to that. That's just saying, actually, you know, let's really make sure that, you know, better to get five, the most important ones, really right. And then all, all right, someone might be a little frustrated if we don't decide on that now, but we don't actually need to do that now. We might have more information next week and we might have a better understanding of what I was talking about before the consequences of, of that decision. So I think, I mean, I like to talk, uh, because I'm uh, mildly dyslexic, I, I tend not to have to-do lists, but I like to think of a decision list as opposed to a to-do list, and I like to think of what is the order in which we should make these decisions, because usually once you've made one decision, it influences another and so on. So I think that's one thing that uh, is quite important as we go through this. Taking a step back um, in terms of something I picked up, you know, you started by saying 
you know, most people know the, the right thing to do. So picking up on that, to what extent does board culture play a role in the behaviours of a board um, in times of crisis? Massive, I think. And you, you know, it's, it's interesting, uh, I've just been um, on a board member recruitment panel um, just before this call, and it was interesting. There were, there were two characters, and uh, one is stronger in terms of the specific criteria we've got, the uh, experiences they've had, and one is much stronger in terms of the character that we want on our board. And it's a no-brainer for me. Uh, I think everyone you add to a board should be additive to the culture. And I think it's a job of a board, you know, as part of that, deciding what the vision and, and strategy and the resources should be, is what's the culture that you want? And you recruit to the culture that you want. And that's not to have groupthink or anything like that, because you, you know the culture you want might include a bit of grit in the oyster. Uh, so I think it's a really healthy discussion for board. So it's interesting at uh, EY Foundation, which I chair, we, we had a discussion, you know, the moment we, we were aware of this and, and they said, you know, what kind of, what's the culture, the feel that we want to have as we go through this? And we decided, you know, that we would put the young people that we support first, them and the health of our team. Uh, and then we would deal with the, the, the other things. We would work uh, you know, we, we agreed, we had a little COVID task force, who would be in that, and we picked the people in that who were good at making those kind of, um, they, they, they were sort of battle-hardened, they can take those decisions, and then we had another group of people who were more reflective, perhaps, and they're focused on the, you know, what's the strategy coming, coming out of this? And so I think the fact that we had a culture which um, which has both, you know, it's not a culture of all action, men and women, or all big brain reflective thinkers it's it's a balance that you that you can achieve that i think the culture of thinking about other groups is massively important and i think the companies that have got that culture where they understand how other people view things how people might feel about decisions i think will probably make better decisions and the you know the whole diversity thing plays plays very well into that you know if you've got a group of people as as mighty side which covers more of the problem space you're more likely to solve the problem yeah so i in terms of then boards and leadership behaviors what kind of leadership behaviors are <clears> you <throat> seeing emerge um i guess as a result of this crisis and what kind of leadership i guess is now required in this or future crises so i think if you take the fundamental I mean, if you take sort of just three aspects of leadership, which I think are really critical at a time like this, I think great judgment underpins everything. Making the right choices at the right time, in the right way, and judging not just where things are, but where they might go. That's really important. So that balance of, of sort of making you know your judgments well informed by fact, but also interpreting those facts and, and deciding what to do. I think that's the fundamental sort of first plank. The second plank I'd say is very strong interpersonal skills because you're asking people to do, you know, to work in a different way, to do different things, to really stretch. Uh, and I think if you've got the interpersonal skills that motivate people, that encourage people, that pick up 
what might be an issue. I think that's that, that's fundamental. And to be able to manage conflict within that is really fundamental because there's lots of conflict in this. You're having you can't please everyone all the time. You're having to make choices. So the, the ability to manage conflict is critical. And then the third thing I'd pick out, and it's a sort of odd word, but it's a word I I really like, is antennae. So I think really good leaders can pick out amongst a whole load of stuff going on uh, the things that matter, who to listen to. So when you have that range of views, you know, we should do this, we should do that. And, you, and you, know, you know, as a CEO or a J, you have people coming to you saying, you know, I think we should do this and I, you know, and, and knowing actually, even if they express it badly or, you know, irritate people, understanding actually, yeah, they've got a point. I'm picking that up. I think the other thing is a leader that actually is looking and thinking about what everybody else is doing as well. Because, you know, you might do one thing, but if all your competitors are doing a different thing, that might be brilliant. That might differentiate you. But it could just be that you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're, they're all doing the right thing. So, so I think that combination of judgment, interpersonal skills, and tenai is something I think that's that's critical for, for this. And they're probably not the things that people would generally talk about in terms of, um, I, I think if you boil it down, they're, they're three critical things for me. Yes, that's three good tips or three good things to think about. And in terms of the makeup of boards, do you think this the makeup of boards is going to change as a result of this crisis? I'm kind of thinking in terms of, you know, we're now working a lot more from home and we're having to communicate with colleagues and customers and our supply chains digitally. So, you know, is there an argument now for bringing more of those skills onto a board? Is there other changes that might affect the makeup of boards? I think boards will, will change with us this. I mean, they'll change for a number of reasons. So the first reason is the the vision and the strategy that we had before we went into this might need to change significantly. And therefore, the group that you composed to achieve that might need to change. That's sort of one point. The second point is a, a bit like sort of basic skills in terms of adding up, reading, writing, those sort of things. I think being able to take part digitally in things is just a sort of hygiene factor now. So, you know, I, I have a friend who is, is a brilliant person and very wise, but really not very tech savvy or literate and has really struggled uh, and has been terribly embarrassed uh, over the last few, few weeks. And they've kind of come to the conclusion, even though they're not, you know, they're, they're relatively young, that um, actually, if this is the way it's going to be, I don't like all this Zoom stuff. I don't like all this way of doing things i like to to meet people you know the, he's a master of the telephone um he must prefer to call call people and, and discuss so he's, he's basically now in a bit of a quandary he's thinking well you know if this changes the world completely and it's always going to be like this then actually i don't really want to do that and that would be a terrible shame because he has enormous other strengths so i think there's those changes which might provoke people to change i think also we're all finding out who our stars are through this and they they shine really brightly at times like this so i think you know as a chair you you often i remember seeing this in the financial crisis you often see who your next chair is through this uh, you know that really robust solid person who is unflappable and you know 
works through these things and, and does it. And you also find the people who are more brittle uh, and actually aren't terribly good at a moment uh, like this. And then the final thing I think, which will will also make a change, is is around the. Yeah, many people have found out that it is incredibly hard work being a board member and going through a crisis like this. You know, not just the number of board meetings and and prep and reading and all that stuff you have to do, but the the sort of anxiety of it. Uh, you know, you have responsibility literally in the last one for people's lives. You know, you made the wrong call about how quickly you went into lockdown. You know, that could have affected people's lives and livelihoods. Uh, so, and I think, you know, all of my friends who are on board, I think we've all felt a, a kind of deep sense of responsibility for, for others through this. And not everybody wants that responsibility uh, all, all of the time. So I think some people will think, yeah, I'll meet my commitment, I'll carry on with this board, but actually when things look up again, I'll probably that's probably me done on the non-exact or the trustee. So kind of picking up on that, <coughs> where next for boards and what role should boards expect to play going forward? I think they should expect to play the same role they always have as a starting point. So they absolutely need to make sure that whatever your scenario planning tells you. So I think, you know, there's probably a three economic sort of versions. There's the Vs, as the sharp shop, strong recovery quickly. There's a, there's a sort of recession scenario and there's a depression scenario. Well, I don't think we're in the V territory now, certainly not with the Bank of England uh, reported this morning. So we're into recession or worse. Uh, and so, you know, the, the board has to plan for for that and, 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 and that role is really fundamental, making the right choices there. Also, we're reorganizing business models, resourcing models, uh, operating models, supply chain models, all of that. And the board doesn't do all of that, but it has to make sure that the, the executive are supported through that process of deciding what those changes are and, and approving them and making sure it's got the money to do that. You know, you hear so frequently Oh, we're pivoting to digital, three words, pivoting to digital. But investment you have to make uh, in some businesses is very significant. And so how are you going to manage the risk management through that? I think the focus on risk management will be different now. Yeah. I think instead of planning for events or having events on risk matrices, people will have consequences. So, uh, you know, I was super impressed. Um, so the EY Foundation is an independent charity of EY, but it receives about 60% of its funding from EY. And it's very, you know, there's a very strong connection with EY. And I was, um, you know, really impressed how EY managed to get 18,000 people in the UK home working in a day and a half. Wow. Uh, and they were able to do that because they had a contingency plan. And the contingency plan, obviously, it had pandemic in it. But actually, the bit of the contingency plan that really was, was critical was, you know, what would happen if, if we couldn't use any of our officers? And yeah. they had a plan for that. And so it didn't matter what the circumstance was that led to that. So I think there will be a bit of a shift in the way that people think about risk management and that we'll be thinking more about the consequences rather than the event which caused the consequences. 
which is the way I've t- tended to think about uh, about risk generally. I think people will think very a board will be more financially cautious, probably for the next ten years, um, because we've all seen that you know cash is quite helpful when you have a crisis. Uh, high leverage isn't, and uh, I think making building in financial resilience and stress testing around that is is quite important. I think the other thing that boards will do around that is if you, you know, it's nice to operate at full capacity, but if you have a brittle system with complex supply chains operating at capacity, not much has to go wrong before that causes you deep pain. So I think there'll be a greater, um, a, a greater sensitivity in systems and a greater inbuilt risk resistance in systems. I think supply chains might be simplified as a result of this as well. Thanks so much for listening to the show and thanks very much to Patrick for sharing his ideas, knowledge and insights. Don't forget you can listen to the second and third episodes in this podcast mini-series with Patrick Dunn in which we talk about people and sustainability. You can also listen to our other Cranfield alumni podcasts by visiting www.cranfield.ac.uk forward slash alumni podcast. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you can email us at alumni at cranfield.ac.uk. Send us a tweet at Cranfield alumni or use the hashtags Cranfield alumni and Cranfield alumni connected to get in contact with us. I'm Kasia Gardner and you've been listening to Alumni Matters.